hello and welcome to the next edition of the Batalba Sports Podcast with myself, Ford Cuxley and Josh Tobin. How are you, Josh? Yeah, good, but same old, same same conversation we're having every week at the minute, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's a bit different at the minute, though. It's afternoon, isn't it? So, um, it, it is the afternoon, so first afternoon pod. So, yeah, it's nice, it's nice to see some sunlight for a change. I hope no one from work listens to this. <laughs> no, no, I mean, <laughs> otherwise we're not good, but uh, yeah. Absolutely not good. Well, uh, what have we been up to, Josh? A lot of health and safety stuff today? Yes, we had health and safety stuff. Keeping the university Lovely. safe. No, it's, uh, to be honest, I suppose as exciting as this getting in the minute in uh, yeah. in lockdown. Obviously, another week off and a, another week doing doing what we're doing. Five Ks is still going. Yeah. Um, to be honest, it's been a bit of a godsend with the football on every other day. It's been something yeah. just to sit down with and watch, like, but um, no, it's, with this COVID, it just seems work's gone through the roof. And obviously, yeah. working from home makes it a bit more awkward, but. Um, we're cracking on, food. We're digging yeah, in. We're cracking on. Um, and I know this man who we're with today will be very interested in the Premier League at the minute because his beloved Manchester United are uh, a flying at the minute. Scrape past Fulham, but I can't say much because Chelsea scraped past them Saturday and then we're absolutely woeful against Leicester on Tuesday night. So, no further ado, our guest for today, a Swansea legend. St. Joseph's boy as well, so it's nice to have a St. Joseph's boy. It's been Glanavon Central the last couple of weeks. Um, he played 281 games for Swansea, man and boy. Uh, scored 10 goals, and obviously we've seen the feature in on Twitter. He, he actually scored the last league goal in the last floodlit game at the Vetch. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Christian Larry. Christian, how are we? Afternoon, boys. <laughs> What, uh, what have we been up to in COVID, in the lockdown, Chris? Uh, lots of walking. That's about it, really. Uh, yeah. I get that. Well, look, we, we're very fortunate where we live in. We, we've, uh, we've got mountains one side and, uh, and a beautiful beach on the other. So just trying to get out and escape and you know, four or five miles a day. That's about it. I'd love to, I'd love to be doing a 5K. There's no way of ever doing that again, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, my knees are screaming, Chris, don't we? Oh, God. They, um, it was it was Carvin's birthday, yes, I didn't even realise he's 17 now. Yeah, he's 17, my boy. He's, uh, it was actually, because it's, it's funny, because every time he, uh, obviously his birthday, he was born the week we played um, Preston, the FA Cup, and it's always quite a big sort of uh, thing on social media. Because I can remember he, he'd been born, uh, he was born, and I was trying to work this out last night, and it's pretty, uh, I'm getting trouble with it, but I can't remember if it was actually the day one of the day after but I think it was the day he was born he, he was born and obviously I had a day off training and I had to get I wanted to get back over to the Vetch because I needed treatment on a car injury because we had a, obviously the big cup game of the weekend I wanted to play in it so I can remember bursting there was a reserve game on at the Vetch and bursting in shout the physios and quiet I need some treatment oh by the way I've just had a baby boy as well so <laughs> just times, are, times, are, no, times are different then I mean the birth of my daughter I uh <clears throat> My wife went into into labour what was broken. She went in daughter, but we were playing Exeter away. And once you're in the you know, in the team, you don't want to give that up. And, and it was uh, a case of my my wife went to the hospital and I went to Exeter to play. But lucky <laughs> enough I was back in time for the you know, she did my daughter wasn't born until Thursday. That was a Tuesday, so Yeah, and that, we, that, we, that's we, what it was. 
it's it's crazy to think that it's seventeen years ago that happened, and and to see where the Swans are now. And and I was talking to uh, Emily's grandfather about it because he's a massive Swansea City fan, and it's mad to think that beating Preston was such a huge upset at the time. And now you're in. Well, the they, they were they were a good. They had a massive club fest. I'm not going to be wrong. Yeah. I know a, a huge amount of history, and at the time they they, they were going well in the Championship. Um, and they had a Ricardo Fuller went on to play for Stoke, and I somewhere. He definitely played for Stoke and was a big, big name at the time. Um, but those days are special. Over ten thousand at the Vex, and, and the way we, so I think we went one 0 down. We ended up winning two, two one. Yeah. Dan scored a great goal late on. Robbo scored a free kick, and you always know when Robbo scores. Well, he's still knowing now because he's just forever on social media. <laughs> It's a bit like me with my tries. They don't come often. So. No, no, forward, forward, forward. There's only one thing you put on social media. Well, you don't put it on, and then someone put it on, and then you tweet it and that. That, that <laughs> kick out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was, I put it into my uh, lesson, actually, earlier at the show. Him, uh, a, oh, did you? Yeah, a bad example of how to kick. So um, they see now. Hey, exactly. but forward, one thing. No one can take you were on that pitch. A lot of those people weren't, mate. Yeah, remember exactly. that? Exactly. I mean, it was both Swansea legends, you know, rugby. Yeah, of course, mate. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, Josh, um, we we haven't physically got a beer of the week this week because obviously it's the afternoon. But what what is your choice? Have you heard to... about this? Yeah, we... told me about this, and I was waiting for the text message. I went to Morrison's yesterday. Well, well I've got a bottle of Corona. I can have a bottle of. Beer. I got. Yeah, I got a bottle. Of... My, my beer, right? And this is God's honest truth. The only place that sells them is Morrison's. And they always on the, the, the big bottles here, and they three for a fiver. And I've not seen anybody else buy them, so I don't really want to give it away. Mm. I, I, I only go down there to restock my beer. You'll have to tell us um, once we stop recording, because ah. uh, you, know, you know me, Chris, I do like a neck and norm on Instagram. So, yeah, uh, well, you won't be doing neck and norm in these, I won't tell you it. <laughs> The beer I, I picked out is from our range in Morrison's. The, uh, the three bars right. for fiver. So, so it, it, it could happen for it. This could be in the stars. Nah. But, but uh, yeah, last week we went with Cobra, didn't we? A nice, a nice beer to uh, to wash down a curry. So I thought it was only fair that we go with a beer that uh, would help wash down a Chinese. So this week's beer of the week is Tsing Tao beer from China. So it's... Oh. Uh, it's a 4.7% Ford. So why is this? Uh, it falls into that uh, that category of respect. Um, yeah, it's a well hopped standard pale ale. 4.7 is the flag is the flagship beer of uh, the Sing Tao Brewery Company. And uh, interesting fact: locals in China typically buy this uh, draft beer in branded plastic bags rather than bottles. Um, they hang them under street side tables and drink from uh, drink from the bags and carry the leftovers back home. So, so they call it a specific phenomenon over in China called the beer takeaway. And they and they realize they try and wonder why they get all these viruses uh, oh. because they just got them on the bags. Like <laughs> it's, it's just spread of germs. Just use a bottle. Be a plastic bag full of beer. What more do you want, Ford? Get out. Get on with him. Uh, just one question from the public whilst you're on alcohol. Christian, Mike Noon, I want to know what's your favourite red wine? Oh, I know. This is the thing. <coughs> this goes back to our 40s team at Trevelyan, right? The, uh, Michael isn't... Um, he's a Blue Wicked fan, Michael, is right? Still, no. 40, 
five, I think he is, four or five. He's, uh, he's our captain, right? And he's um, gets very, it's, it's a ginger in him and he gets very agitated and aggressive. So anyway, we're not playing, we can't play. So we've gone for a morning about not being able to play. So someone, for some some reason, put on a, a photo of a bottle of wine. So that's the that's the way now. And so when everybody has a bottle of wine, and, and Luna will come up dead, shit, you know, he, he gives you all that. So he comes aggressive against it. <laughs> so that's why that's on it. But if we we occur, I like so. We are nice, yeah. nice, Christo. A bit culture. Do St. Joseph's by any obviously? Well, you know, it takes a little bit of time, Ford, but you know, you'll be fine now. Up now, where you are in Bonamine, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Bonamai, it, we, we we got more security up here than uh, than the president yesterday because you know, there's a lot of, lot of robbing going on up here. Oh, right. Oh. <laughs> the, um, <clears throat> but no, it's uh, yeah, it's it's quite funny actually because you know, he's going to bite. But when you drink blue with kids at that age, come on. Yeah, he's got more. He's friendly with Andrews, and Ian Andrews yeah. is also a blue wicked drinker. Oh, and, is he? Yeah, I didn't yeah. Know that. You could be out in a welcome, and and all of a sudden I'll be out anywhere with him, and and just it's Aris who goes my round, and then you're holding a holding a WKD like in the middle of the welcome. So it's, WKDs, that's a throwback, isn't it? Oh. Yeah. Well, it is unless you're Michael Noonan. <laughs> That's, oh, that's, gonna, that's got oh, a very God. dark arch feel about it, I love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can remember Tate, Alan Tate used to come down when he signed for Swansea and that's his drink of choice. Anything like that. Then they had a, like an orange, like a iron blue colour one as well, didn't mm. That was his uh, one. So Chris but, uh, obviously... yeah, so that's that's where that question's come from. Nice, nice, Michael Noonan. We'll that be a good shout. Red wine, Josh, one week, and we'll we'll be cultured and have some wine and cheese on. Well, we go, but we might have to become a bit more cultured and yes. cater for the wider audience. Run out the beers. Well, to be fair, that that uh, selection of Morrison's, you've got a couple more to go. Well, you say a couple more to go. I'll find out what you want to put on first. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's good. I like it where you're going around the world. Mine's mine's a little bit bit more Mediterranean. Mine is. But nice. not the usual Mediterranean. Nice. Please. But they are the best beers on that selection. Exactly. More than a pint as well. Just over a pint, isn't it? Sure. Mm. It's, it's well worth a three for uh, three for five. So Josh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Josh will have half a bottle and go to bed. Oh, oh, and you, <laughs> you've had a lot of practice, you have for fair play. <laughs> He's put it all in our drum, Chris. <laughs> My honour, I think... In the first lockdown, I text for I said, you know, what's going on? Calm down. Every time I look at you drinking, you know, you're doing a neck and arm. Like, and I was going, yeah, he said, Chris, it's like a three-month tour. <laughs> That's probably the best description of the, the first lockdown. Yeah, it hasn't got that feel about it at the minute because it, it don't feel no. like you're sitting in a tiki bar in bed at No, I thought when you, you know, you're putting a barbecue on for the kids, like it, uh, in mid-April, oh, no, midday, one o'clock, and they go, oh, there's a crack, I can't open it, you know, it's a Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> no, that's not right, man. That's not right, yeah. <laughs> so, obviously, Chris, growing up, obviously, local boy, um, what, what did, what impact did local sport have on you um, during your, your career and growing up? Um, look, I, I'm I'm a massive advocate of, of, of local sport. I love it, and even when I was playing, any time I had off, I'd go down, I'd watch, you know, Ligo, Port Talbot, Surveillance, you know, my affiliation with them. 
but even local, you know, I, I go and watch the games down the boys play on a Sunday morning. I could always remember going to watch a baby play Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. Obviously, the boys would be all chatting about what happened the night before, where they'd been, and this, that, and the other. But it was, it, it was massive for me. I mean, growing up, I lived down St. Paul's Road, and um, we were out lucky down the beach and what have you, but we'd always have a ball. Obviously, look, times are different, I understand that. But, you know, the upbringing that we had was 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 priceless, you know. And, and I'll always say, people ask me, and you might have this question down later about you know, my favourite game or, you know, what, what do you remember? But I always say one of my favourite games was the last game I played for Avon Lido. And um, it was a cup final. And we'd done... We'd won the first cup final, and we'd won the league, and we were 100% record. So we were going to together when we had at uh, at the Lido. And I can remember leaving the house, uh, St. Paul's Road, just walking on the Lido, my kit bag on, and we won 4 0. I scored two goals. But that game was the last game, which was, yeah, it was pressure. We were playing with your mates, you know, and, and playing with my mates sort of that gives you the love of the game um, and wanting to, well, to see how far you can go. Or, you know, is it an opportunity? And I, I look, I was fortunate. I, after that, then I'd signed, I signed for Swansea, and um, I was in the well setups. And, and it was a bit, you bit in house. You couldn't go out play with your mates. You, had, you were lucky to get a game for Swansea that year because of the pretty much the well system took over and where you trained, when you trained, who you played, what you did. So um, the kids' football and, and kids' sport, rugby, and I'm, I'm a big advocate as well of, of multiple, multiple sports. So whereas now the academies are sort of taking that away from the kids, certainly in football, for me it's a must. You know, we play football, rugby, on the green sides. Or they didn't start. I think I had about a year or so playing down there because there was no real youth rugby at that sort of or that age rugby at that time. Um, but you'd still be able to handle a rugby ball because you were grown up. You know, whether you take a football and a rugby ball down to the field, so, you know. Um, <clears throat> but obviously tennis end in the summer. But any any sport that you could play, you'd be out playing, and I think it's a big loss for the kids um, in general. You know, whereas they're not out as much as they as they can be, uh, as they should be. But certainly through this lockdown, it's been very difficult. I think this is something we've we touched upon in the other pods for now when we've had um, the one I th- the one I can think of where we brought it up in, in sort of detail was with Avon United. But you touched on I've touched upon it there, Chris, with. Like the importance of playing multi sports growing up, you know, like forty is the same as me. All of us, well, especially Batal, but as you said, school was football, football on weekends. Sunday was rugby, um, summer cricket, tennis. Threw ourselves into it, but now with, in particular, football starting up academies from such a young age, as you said, Chris, it is sort of taking that away from kids. But like another few touches upon it, like the enjoyment of you know getting that enjoyment of football and that love for the game from playing with your mates. Do you think the academies are taking that away a bit as well from uh, from kids? Yeah, I do, and and I think it's we the kids now. Um, and look, this is just my my point of view and, and my belief in it, or, and I might be totally wrong. Um, the the kids at this age now, the, the parents were sort of in between, you know. And I was lucky because I, you know, my background, I, I sort of can see it from both both sides. But whereas the kids. Now, some of the kids are, are almost living the, the parents' dream, you know, mm. because it's been brought forward. They're signing the, you know, your parents saying, Oh, you signed a two year contract at Swansea. Oh, is he? How old is he? Oh, he's eight. I'm like, you know, you know but it, it, it's not like when I signed for Swansea, I signed school by form as a 14. You could only sign a 14. Now, I'd played for Swansea, 
and I was playing friendlies against other teams previous, but you could only affiliate yourself with a club at 14. Now, I never said I signed a contract then. I signed schoolboy forms, and that's what it was. And then I signed uh, a YTS or youth team. So I became a, you know, what's called a scholar or apprentice. I didn't sign a contract as such until I was a first year pro, until after I made my debut. So that's what I class as a contract. I don't class a two year contract at the age of eight. So but I remember that we did, um, there was courses with the Premier League when I was at Swansea, the 21s. And one of the things they come in and it was, um, they were talking about uh, schoolyard games and, and how we could sort of incorporate them into warm ups and things. And, and I basically said, well, do you know what? It's a shame they can't do these on the streets and you know, or at home and things like that. Because he said, well, why can't I? I said, well, they can't because you've got them here every night. And and with to be fair with with clubs, they're not going to one club is going to stop because the other one will carry on. And remember what I said about the parents. The parents, are, oh, they got these in your car. He's got to go. You know, well, my mother and father followed me all, everywhere to play or well, the majority of places, but. You know, I, like I said, I walked down to like, oh, they, they wouldn't want to come and watch me train. <laughs> no, you went and trained. You know, it's it's your thing. You you, you know, you're growing up. You know, when I, I've seen people sort of peering over the fence at Swansea, over the, the bushes, like a Lando looking, you know, he's training, what's he? Oh, obviously, he was interested in it of, of what you did. But but it's, um yeah, you know, and, and, and it's stopping the players from doing multiple sports. And that's the problem. And I think it goes again where. The clubs have sort of told the parents, and the parents are sort of like, "All oh, right, I know the, the kids believe they can't do it." Whereas yes. you get as much, much playing a game of rugby would benefit you playing a game of football, vice, and I believe vice versa. Yeah. You know, until you get to a certain age, and then you have to make a choice. Well, I was fourteen; I had to make the choice. You so, know, and at that age, you sort of you've got more of an understanding. You know, physically, you you developed enough to understand. But it's something James touched upon when we had him on around uh, playing multi-sports. And, you know, we've talked about it before, before when watching rugby. I think, you know, when you see the best tens in the world, you can tell they play multi-sports because, like with the football, you get... I think you said on the on the, the Hook podcast for you get your vision from playing football. Yeah. And seeing absolutely. the spaces and, see, and, and seeing the angles and stuff like that, where I suppose at the minute when... And it is becoming a competition now between the sports and, as you said, football have started up academy so young. Rugby are following, are going to follow suit and have started, although they don't start them as young, but it's getting younger. Cricket's the same. Cricket have got, you know, represent, uh, representative cricket at the age of nine. Um, and as it all of them now are just going to try to, you know, um, fence off, fence off kids. And as you said, Chris, if they get to the age then when, you know, they might get released or, or, or do you not good enough? They haven't got anything else to fall back on them. You know, and psychologically, this is one of the big things that's left out of um, of the, the uh, football side. But certainly, my experience of it, because my boy went through it, my nephew went through it. They get released at, at an age where they've spent, I know, 10, some of them, nine, 10 years there. I know, and being dictated to when to train, what to eat, how to sleep. Birthday parties missed, sleepovers missed, being a kid missed, basically. But when they left, people don't think, they, they concentrate a little bit on the, the kid themselves about, oh, the, fo- the football side, oh, you know, don't worry, you can go and play here and go and play with your friends. Yeah, well, what? It's the standing in, in, in and around their friends. So with everything that they've been there for 10 years, they, they've been made to believe, oh, no, Swansea, they got the track suit on, they can't go here, they can't go there. Without the kid wanting to it 90, 99% of the time, it being put on a bit of a pedestal. 
between their friends. Now, all of a sudden, their friends might be told, where's your easy or football again? Not this anymore. It might not be happening, but in the kid's head, it is. So when they drop out, they look a failure. They feel like a failure. They don't want to play football. They, you know, they, they, every time they step on the pitch, it's as if it's like, oh, oh no. Oh. They start to think, now, oh, am I, should I, because I've been where I am, should I be better than everyone else? Do I have to do something to show them this or show them that? I felt uh, to a degree at least at 33, 34 years of age. You know, so these kids are feeling it. Now, one, one thing I've done in Kamada, and I've said, you know, we have to be there to pick, pick them up. And uh, look, I, I might never, ever see the benefit of this. But my thing is, I don't want, I, I don't want these kids coming in and, and becoming in, like, say, it's Joe Bloggs, or he's been released to Swansea. All right, well, Joe, you take the penalties, you take the corners, you take the throw-ins, you do this, you do that, you're captain. Don't want that. He's Joe, who goes to school down the road, whose friends are here to play, and he wants to come and play with his mates. Yeah. Let his ability let his ability show where he's at, not you no know, people talking about him. And I think that's a big thing for the kids. I think Yeah. Yeah, go on. I, I think it's hundred percent that and I and I this is what I've discussed about um they call it exit interviews with in, in rugby about being released. And and it, the way I think the D the the in your mindset and I've I've been with boys who play in a Swansea who've they're still not being released, but they're on the verge of being released, and they know that that game is probably their last chance, and they got they got to do something special, and then it just it it's a detriment to the team, and you see you just see the player crumbling in in front of you, and it's it's a hard watch sometimes because it's, I think it's, as, a, as, as a club, if we leave it get to that point where they got to play one game together, I think you've done the disservice to the, the player. Yeah, I like to keep him. I get it, senior level where he's a body, he's a number. If you know. If, you haven't got him, then he's playing. No, if you haven't got him, you not, might not be able to play the game. But but if it gets to that point, I think you know, ultimately, if you look at hand on heart as as a club and as a person, they should have been released to give them an opportunity. You know, previous. I think go back to what Josh is saying as well about the the clubs now and what you might find, and certainly what I noticed at rugby because when we trained at at Sandarsi, the Ospreys were there as well. I can remember people like Alan Wynn and the hockey and and people like that coming in. And they were tall but slight, you know. And then they spent the next year or so just bulking up and it'd be weeks, yeah. weeks. Didn't play many games. Now, the, the problem is, then, is there's a couple now, Calvin's age, where they've been in and around the Ospreys, but physically now they've changed, you know, they could potentially change from being able to play football at a decent level because of the work they've done at rugby. Yeah. Now, they could spend an X amount of time now in rugby and, they, and physicality so big in there. Where you know all of a sudden they they're almost too big to play and too immobile to play the football, so you now don't do it away from them. Like sometimes I don't know, from, like from the outside and you know stuff on you, we always say as a, as a matter of opinion could be completely wrong, but as probably a perfect example of a sport, like you know fencing off a group of players, you know making sure that well maybe they're not quite good enough, but we don't want to release them yet just in case they go on and. And make it if someone if someone was good at football as well, they went off and and made it. They don't want to sit there and go, oh yeah, well we let him go. He's, he's done well over there. If we'd kept him, you know, blah blah blah. I think there's I think there's loads of that going on. And exactly the same as you before. You see it so many times in your clubs waiting to the last minute to let people go. Whether that decision could be made months ago behind closed doors, but for the sake of that. Uh, but I, as you said, Chris, that is you know it's a bit disrespectful <laughs> to play then, isn't it? I always say, right, that a football team can't play without a goalkeeper. So when they get to the, the years, uh, so say like an apprentice, 
every every year needs a goalkeeper. So they know 99% of the time that that goalkeeper is not going to make it at that club. But they can't go ahead without that keeper. And it's, yeah. you know, that, that happens, unfortunately, throughout the, the, the different positions. I mean, I don't want to hide the fact. We, we were desperate for a, a left-back at under-21 level when I was at Swansea. And we scoured and scoured and scoured to find one. You know, and it's just basically giving someone another opportunity. And if it worked, great. If it didn't, then, you know, but you're giving them an opportunity. And, you know, it's, it's difficult. It's very difficult. Planning, it takes a lot of planning. And big thing when I was at the 21s, I wanted to look right the way back down. So I had a list of people, like different positions of where they would be and what year they'd be coming into, into be full-time as an apprentice. And then you could sort of say, all right, well, then then you've got a succession of where you need to look and strengthen and what's the plans and how you do it and what the likelihood is and whether people agree with it, whether people don't, you know, that, but that was my looking at it. And, 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 you know, you sort of, you know where to work and where, where not to work then. Yeah, Josh, a few, uh, few old scars, how's it? Every team <laughs> goalkeeper. Josh was with Twitch for a couple of years, Josh was. Uh, so, uh, and yeah, I found it. Um, but so, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I went up with uh, John Bird. Yeah, he took John Bird two, two times. He took um, me and Boy Luke Pearson went up from a fairy loop. Right. I don't know who he's playing for now, but um, oh, no, I, I think as, as you said, with goalkeeper, as you said, everything needs one, um, especially the academies. But I think with the Ipswich one before, I think it's you know, is it, is it such a big jump from playing sort of local league junior football? <laughs> And then you get thrown into that environment. I think my first game up there, well, I went from playing Port Call C on one Saturday, and the next week I was playing his Arsenal. Yeah. And uh, I remember, um, like, both my parents came up to watch and stuff, but it was like a different sport. It was honestly playing a different sport. First, first 10 minutes went so quickly. The pace of the game was massive, but I think however long I was up there for, I think, like, in the back of my mind, to be honest, even before it finished, I knew I wasn't quite good enough up there, to be honest, playing at uh, you know, playing that level. I suppose that's just a personal thing, being a bit self-aware, I don't know. But, you know, it's good, you know, you talking about that there, because a lot of people don't understand. You can all sit in front of the TV and I do it now and criticise people and this, that and the other. But the, the hardest thing is actually when, when you're there to do it. I've seen so many players uh, and uh, at different levels. Um, so because the hardest part is is actually is the mental side. Like you said, for 10 minutes, it's like, wow, what's going on here? Oh, it was. It was. Uh, I remember, I, well, I remember the first ten minutes. They scored after a five, I think, right? But uh, it was just like you start a football game exactly as you would do, like anyway. Goal went in, and all of a sudden the ball's pinging around everywhere. You've got you've got boys in the middle of the park spraying balls that you, know, you wouldn't see in, in locally growing up. Um, but the pace for ninety minutes was meant. I, I, I think you said because knocked on the head. There, I think you know everyone's a good armchair fan, and we when watching football on TV saying our oh, so and so shit and stuff, but. I think until you have a taste of that level, I don't think you appreciate how, how much quicker it is, how much slicker it is, the the mental side of it. You can't switch off for two seconds. Yeah. And and that's when what being poor was about. Many times you said to me, when I was being a poor, so-and-so can make it. You know, when I was watching local football, he should be at the pro club. And it, it, it's great doing it and seeing him doing it once a week or once, you know, one every four games and this, that and the other. But you have to do it every single day. And every single day be better than next because there's someone next to you or someone coming in or or looking for to take your place. 
So the, the, the mental side of the, the professional sport is is incredible. And I mean, Sackfordshire, yes, we have we had some fantastic times and unbelievable times, but but there's costs to that, a massive cost to it. I think you said, but they're like doing it every day. Like I only had a, a, a brief taste of it. Um, but I think Jim and Jilton was in charge of Ipswich at the mm-hmm. time. We went up there. Obviously, I think I was 16, 17 when I was up there. So I trained with the first team, but the intensity of just the training or training games, whether it was five aside or you're playing seven aside, big goals, it, it was match intensity. You know, you couldn't just yeah. get yourself through it or, or or just go with the flow, go through the motions. You were playing at, at that level. But as you said, Chris, it was it's every single day <laughs> up until you play on a Saturday, play, and then you start again. Then. Yeah, no, that's it. That's it. And then, like I say, you've got to be better than you were the day before. That's tough, so, but... so we've we've obviously started to talk about your early years at Swansea. We'll we'll talk about um, that that season and, and more importantly that game against Hull and and obviously as a local boy for you, it, it must have meant a lot to you. And and how how did what was your feeling going into them couple of weeks before the Hull game? So obviously you knew you had to, you had a big t- job on your hands. And how did you feel going into it? Yeah, look, I mean the the problems had started. You know, years years previous to that, when they sold the club and you know the pet come in and they start you know, it was it was ongoing. And that summer, I remember Nick Cusack had taken over because he was without Nick Cusack being there at that time. I don't think Swansea would be anywhere where it is now. You know, I don't even think it might not even be a Swansea city. Um, <clears throat> so he's massive for it, and they they given him his job the job, and but they give the budget they give him was like ridiculous, poor. You know, and. and I mean, it, it, you look at, he was thrown into a job and it, the, the game was totally different to what it is now. I know they were totally different. Um, and I can remember this, he signed a few players and what have you. And what he sort of went, he, he signed players at the back end of their career and players who were being released from other clubs. So nothing in between, no sort of very few. I think the one that was in his prime or close to his prime was like James Thomas, who was obviously a vital part of that staying up. But, but, <clears throat> that had sort of come on and he got sort of dumped with him. We, we were at the bottom of the league because we were, we were not good enough, you know. Um, and then Nick, Nick left and Brian Flynn came in and, and all of a sudden we, someone must have found a magic money tree, as they say, and then we brought in players and we have to, you know, we have yeah. to bring those players in. Um, but yeah, leading up to those those last weeks, I, I always think that the tough, tough game, and I mean, it was a real brutal game, was Rochdale away the week before. Um, because we were at Rochdale, I think, let me try and work out, was it Carlisle were the Exeter or Torquay? Yeah, Carlisle were Torquay or something like that, and then Exeter were up at York, and I was convinced that if we win this, we're all right, you know, we win away, we, we're all right, and we we won, we won 2 one but it was a hell of a bat, like, you know, and I can remember I ended up some of the Swans fans saying, you know, I was celebrating and I, in the end, I just jumped in there with them. And I thought, no, that's that should be enough. And there's a photo of Roger Freestone. He's got Michael Howard one side, the left back, and Lee Jenkins who played right back the other side. And you could see in their face, well, Roger was sub at the time. And he'd come on and found out the other teams had won. Uh, you could see it in their faces. So the elation down to, you know, right, knock you right back down to, oh, shoot, we've got to go through this again. But when I sat in the change room, I thought, well, hang on a minute. Carlisle is thinking this down south. Extra thinking this up north. And the same, we just go again next week. And Brian Flynn was good with the, any sort of big game like that or cup game. He'd sort of try and change something up in training that week. So we just, cha- I think we just changed where we trained 
nothing to it. And kept it sort of down, you know, very quiet. Didn't didn't it was it was pressable, but nothing crazy, you know. Um, but that game, I just felt I felt really confident we were going to do it. Like, you know, I just felt that we we'd be okay. The worst, and I've said it before, the worst I felt we, we were four two up, and I think that might have been half hour twenty minutes ago, and I just wanted it over then. Because you yeah. know, then if if they got the four three years, that you know was really, you know, really twi- as Fergie was saying, it took you one time. Like you know, you you we started getting nervous, and anything could have happened then. Um, and it was really really um, unfortunate that it was actually Lee Jenkins and Michael Howard have made mistakes leading up to the goals, which you know anybody can happen. But they they'd been really consistent and and played well that year, and it, I felt for them. You know, we Brits got the penalty, and then we got another sort of penalty in there. Dubious circumstances, just on half time, which was massive. Uh, but it was funny because we were we were actually sort of uh, a bit more like heroes than more than anything. But heroes were being poor for a season, basically. It was just that one game or the two games that we really sort of. I think I think the hero part of it, or the the good part of it, comes from the fact that we were pretty much looked dead and buried, and we managed to get yeah. ourselves out of it, you know. But as for me, you know, I, I would have been. I think the whole. That two years was two uh, two years was was two thousand one two two three was was a long two years a real really tough grind you know real real um I think if Swans fans now have obviously seen the real good times but that whole two years was an experience which I wouldn't wish on many people in in professional sport it was it was difficult like, you know yeah and I I bet I couldn't imagine it. At this time, especially because of the choice of social media, imagine, imagine the pressure that would be on you guys at the minute. Especially, you know, it's, it's, you're in and, and being a boy from Batol, but you're in it all the time. You you you're a local boy. Swansea is is local too. You're playing the vetch, which is obviously you're you're on. Everyone's on top. It was a. I would have thought like I wouldn't have liked to have been in the position of were, but. We got out there. A bear wide street took an hour and a half out. We ended up having a... We had a week in Magaluf. The, uh, the club paid for a week in Magaluf. We'd won the league three years before. We had nothing. Let's <laughs> <laughs> be honest. That's what I mean. It's crazy. But it was... Yeah, it was uh, obviously like quick own change. And, and I, but again, it was... it was We had celebration again. No, said you celebrate and be a bang average for nine months, but yeah. shit not for two games. Like. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've seen someone see it. Someone said it, but it's like about the playoffs now. Like if we lose in the playoffs, we had a shit season. But if we stay up on the last day, you're the best club in the world. Yeah. Everyone's, everyone's up so those two of the, you know, look, it was, it was, uh, it was a tough game, but it was it was good. And I was fortunate. I played in in a few games where where it mattered for Swans. You know, where where things were were going. Up. We're at the back end of it, but there was meaning, proper meaning in the game. There was, there was sort of um, consequences of the game, you know. And uh, it was, it was just another. It's easy to say no, it was another game, it, but it meant so much to other people, and that's what you you carry the weight of of the club, the the, the city, the fans, that type of thing, which which is when it goes your way is is no better feeling, you know. Yeah, and you've you've obviously got some mates as well as Swans fans. You you. Worry a bit more, and I think that's probably one of the nicest feelings as well when your mates are watching you and you've you've done it for for them, which is really good. And I've spoke to you about it before when I've heard you talk about it before. But Kenny Jacket obviously had a massive influence on the on that uh, 
Swansea squad, didn't he? And, and the, as obviously Martinez being captain. So that last season, is it? I am right. The last season of the Vetch is the year you got promoted, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, so what? You knew you were going into the last season of the Vetch. What? What did Kenny Jacket change in terms of your mentality to go from where you were to? We, Brian Flynn, had signed some good players: Trans, Tatey, Brits, Roberto. All these players have come in, but with all honesty, who the off-field discipline was pretty shocking, you know. And and we had uh, Trans tells the stories because he was in most of them, so he was like. But the, the the fact of the matter is, we had um, we had sort of all the ability. We were, I think we were top up until Christmas a year before, and then we finished up like tenth. And then Kenny took over, and, and Kenny's very very different to to Brian Flynn. It was very structured in his like like training and fitness was massive for him. And and there was a lot of players out of contact that year, and I was the only one that was out of contact that actually stayed. So you know, I I sort of had that. I think he, he knew he could trust me. So that preseason, then we uh, we were we were working. It sort of ended that end of the season. Then he started. He even stayed in a few days and did some runs with him. And I remember being again. We used to go Magaluf at the end of the thing, and he phoned up one of the players, and and he's we stood there, and his phone's going. He's like he pointed to me and turns and I go. It's, it's a gaffer, it's a gaffer, and we're like, oh, don't answer, don't answer, <laughs> and he's answered uh, hello, and he's gone. Uh, yeah, Brad, Brad, yeah, Brad made it, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you just go and put the phone down, like. <laughs> <laughs> and we go, what the fuck are you doing? So, uh, suffice to say, he didn't play many games after. But uh, I don't know what he was phoning for. I think he told us, like, I don't want anybody going away. You're in next. Or certain people didn't do the runs in a certain time. Had to come in the week after and this, that, and the other. But he was, he was proper, very, very disciplined. And I took... Um, I took a bit of a, a pay cut to stay that year as well, which uh, not, obviously not many people know, but I wanted to, and I wanted to force myself into that, you know, into his plans. And obviously he wanted me because he'd offered the, the deal. So that pre-season, I, I knuckled down this, uh, in the off-season. Um, and that pre-season was one season we've ever had. And I mean, it was, it was proper. And I mean proper. But brilliant, you know, because... Because I was fortunate, I'd done a little bit of work in the off season myself, but I went into it not too bad. If if we hadn't, we'd done what we'd normally would have done. Then it would have been brutal, you know. He wouldn't have probably gone. Oh, that's not bad enough. <laughs> but it was uh, no, he was. He, he was proper, proper hard. And um, we played a lot of games. And I can remember him saying to me, "We went to. I played the first preseason. And normally, like it is fashionable now, you play forty five minutes each and this that. You know, when me and Gary Monk played the full ninety. So we didn't play in the midweek game, and then we played again on the Saturday, and then we went to, to Holland for pre-season. And the club had a, a director out in Holland, and they organised games, but it was insane amount of games in the, in the sort of first time. I picked up an ankle injury, so I was ticking over over there. And it came to the last game, I think it was, and I said, look, you know, I'll give it a go. And he's like, no, no, I don't. He said, I said, no, I'll give it a go. He said, look, you, as long as you fit next week, you'll be playing. He said, I don't know if I'm going to play right back or centre mid. I said, well, to be honest with you, if you're going to play, I'd rather play in centre mid. And he went, yeah, okay, okay, I'll, I'll leave you with that. So I played 20 minutes, uh, played the first half, and it, my ankle swelled up again. I felt it was, it was But to boost him saying that to me, and the fact that we'd been worked really hard in the fitness side of it, it was, it was unbelievable. I, I, I felt like I could, you know, could basically run over anybody in any sort of game. 
you, you stand in the panel, you look at the bloke next to you and say, all the best, mate. If you're going to keep up with me today, then you've got to be right on top of our suit fit. Like, you know? Yeah. But no, he, he was he was very disciplined, you know, very, very disciplined. He was very, we structured really well. We were tight. As a, he signed good players as well. That's a massive thing. Very good players. Um, tight as a unit. But those players fitted into the group. And that was the start, really, of that, the core of the group then going on to do what they did. Because yeah. that's where the, the friendships and the bonds were, were, were made in. And again, it was always in the back of your mind was that last year at the Vets, last year at the Vets, the games are ticking over, ticking over. And that final league game, Shrewsbury, now that's a game where 60 minutes in, I was done. I was, I felt, I couldn't, you know, I, people say about emotional games and this, that and the other. And I never felt it before, but that one, that was the first time where I thought, Jesus Christ, you know, we're gonna have a, you know 30, 20, 30 minutes to go, and I'm I'm dead, you know. But it was that's like, that's you like had that expectation. You didn't want to, <laughs> you did, you didn't want to leave the ground, and the fans leave it with a defeat. Yeah. And, and add on top of that, you had to win the last two games to have a chance again promoted. Yeah. But then that led to bed, that led to Barry away, which is one of the best, best football games or best moments of my career. It was insane, insane. Yeah. We stayed outside of Berry and travelled in. And there was rumours on it, was loads of fans. There's about five, 6,000 Swansea fans travelled up to Berry. They took over half the ground. So the, the Berry season ticket holders had to move somewhere else. So they had it. And we scored after 27 seconds. And I was like, Q pitch invasion one, everybody off. And then it's like, <laughs> like, get off. And then then it was like an extra, oh, everything. And we had, we kept, we won 1 0. Like, and, uh, and that's when the goalkeeper got arrested. So. Yeah, I mean, can you uh, elaborate? Eh, Josh? Yeah, yeah oh, he's got to be a screw loose first. The player in first, first place, Chris. So yeah, I've uh, I've heard the story about obviously what happened afterwards and, and Willie Gray and Aaron. Uh, just just talk us through how the bus ended up outside the police station. Uh. Well, it was it was we came down and it's funny because how things work out. Barry's changing room, uh, change rooms are quite quite big but outside the change room it's like a big massive hallway underneath the stand it's like obviously like being at a, 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 um, a ground now when you go under the stand you've got the gap you know got the, the space a concourse it was like a concourse so obviously we'd been promoted bouncing about there was there was no no beer or anything in the in the change rooms and one of the, the right back by Clandy Gurney was he had a screw loose as well he, he went upstairs someone come down with a couple of beers we're all having a beer in it. and we're out for the change you know in this concourse thing so the, we got 6,000 fans outside on the pitch, not at our ground, where if we were at our ground, we would have gone and seen them. So someone, Stuart comes down, so I, uh, we were right to go up. So we went up into the director's box. So I don't know what Willie did, whether he went step over or what, but the police were there. The police were moaning, and, oh, no, this isn't right. You know, we can't have you all this. And, and whatever he said to each other, anyway, he got arrested. So I come back downstairs and the gaffer's there and he's going, Chris, everything all right? You're right? I said, yeah, yeah, great gaffer. Puff and Willie's got arrested. He went, fucking what? I said, he's got arrested. <laughs> so anyway, Willie's marching out full kit and everything now and he's got to, we all celebrate. And so we do all of what we need to do, jump on the bus, straight to Tesco's, loaded it up with beer. So the boys bought it. I can't remember who's, Southern Comfort and Lemonade or Jack Dan and Lemonade, one of those. So bought them a bottle and everything. We get near the ground and at uh, a police station. And the gaffer's, oh, no, first of all, go back. We pull up at Tesco and the gaffer's gone, right, lads, you know what I'm about. We've got a game on uh, on Wednesday. 
uh, last game of the Vets, you know, so no alcohol. And, like, in sync, every player. Fuck off, Gaffer. <laughs> <laughs> and he's gone, and Gaffer's in his face, he's gone, yeah, yeah, I understand. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> and just walk off. So anyway, we, we jump in, we get to the police station, someone comes out and says, right, boys, we've got two options. We, uh, we stay and wait for him. Or we go back and he gets a left back and we sort of look down and a couple of them are actually look. Now we're in it together, we we'll stay. So we all sat outside the police station in Berry, having a baby or two, you know, waiting for waiting to go. It was a great trip home. He got on miserable Frenchman and he like first down and then someone handed him his drinks, like still in his kit. He handed him his drinks and he's like, Oh, happy days, like <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's that's something we would do, Josh, with a cricket. Someone would get arrested and, and after a game or something. That, that's I love it. I remember being like a, I was only a kid, and it was like I think Wales on Saturday when they used to have it on, and, and they were like, "Oh, swans of swans of the go report," and they, they've stayed up, and then you couldn't see anything because there was no cameras on the ground from Wales on Saturday. But like Willie Gray's just been arrested, and then you could hear the person go, "What?" And they're like, "Willie Gray's just been arrested. He's been marched on the ground." It was bizarre. It was bonkers. But it was, it was funny because then, like a lot of Swans fans, one works with Tommy. He was phoning me. Ah, Chris, I was, do, do you need me to do anything? Like, you know, he'd been up watching the game, probably half cut, like Solicitor wanted to do. <laughs> no, can I go and help him? I, said, no, I, I, I think they sorted. Come on. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, it was, it was good time. We had some, we had some laughs. I mean, Kenny going back and Kenny come in and he, and he, he first thing I think he pulled trends and trends. Because he was in the meeting, but he said the trends are, you know, you I heard you boys like a night out. Like, and so we do Saturday nights, and you know, you ask, you know, when do you go out? And you say, well, Saturdays after the game, in it, and uh, you know, Sundays if we've got no game on the, you know, Sunday sometimes he said, and Wednesdays he said, don't you think that's a bit much? And he said, well, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna give him the Tuesday, I might go Monday as well. <laughs> <laughs> And he was like, oh shit, you know, but Kenny couldn't hear. Kenny's meetings, and there was something on Twitter the other day, Trans and myself, Trans, Andy Robson, and um, Tom Butler were on about it. And I think someone else, Sean McDonald, maybe joined in. Okay, no, Kenny Morgan, sorry, from Murphy. And it was honestly it was brilliant. The, the meeting was insane. We were, we were on a Sunday afternoon, it was around that time as well. And we used to go, the, the first non smoking bar in Swansea. So you had the, I don't know, Audio. This is my test. How old you are now? Mm. I don't know what it's called now. It was called the Square. It was I mean, some of the idols or something like that. In, idols, in, yeah. Well, it, that was oh, place. Yeah, the Yates was the first one, I think. And the Square opened that big thing. It opened about turn of the millennium because I remember going to the opening. Doing it, and uh, when next door to that, there's there's a little there's a pub. It's the first non-smoking bar in Swansea. So we go in there. You know, on a Sunday afternoon, but we'd have drinking games on, so we'd buy like the bottles of sh- like shot snaps or you know, the shot things going. So they we'd been in there a week before and he charged us X amount. Well, this week now he tried charging us per shot instead of per bottle. So the boys are up there and they kicked off. So they keep going, Oh, I see out the phone. We not, no, no, no way. This last week it was this much. Now we're trying to charge us this much. So Andy Robson, you know, the very man of much decorum, you know, very uh. Polite in his ways, he'd lost the plot. Like, so he's by the door, effing and blinding and called. We called him, so I know he's Alan, Alan Bishop, our neighbours. We, we was hammering him, I'll kill you, you know, he's, he's going nuts. So anyway, it goes on. We might have had the Monday off, but Kenny'd always phone, like I said earlier, so he phoned up one of the other players and he, he'd sort of go, 
I think it was Adrian Forbes. Forbes, you okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he'd all say, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you'd chat the family, okay? Yeah, okay, okay. What the fuck happened yesterday? <laughs> not fine. What happened? So anyway, he's, he's in, he talked, and he said, um, he got in there. Obviously, found out about it. The minute you step in the wine street, the Swansea, Kenny'd have a phone call. He must have hated it. He must have hated it, seriously. So, anyway, we're up in Fairwood, and where the training ground is now, but it was the old, old way it was. And we're upstairs, he's calling me, then we all know he's going to go ballistic. So, anyway, he's going nuts. Yeah, he's Gaffer, he's a manager of a professional team, and he's saying, You shouldn't be out. His point was, You shouldn't be out on the Sunday. We are going back saying, Well, hang on, mate, hang on, Gaffer. This barman's out of order because last week he was only charged with this, but this week he charged with this. <laughs> but Kenny's not, you know, Kenny's coming with us and he's not, we are not getting what he's saying. And we're going, yeah, but Gaffer, last week he's trying to rip us off, Gaffer. Last week it was this, this week it was this. And yeah, and he's slamming bottles down on the floor. But it's his fucking bar. He can charge you what he wants. He's going, and we're going, oh, no, no, but Gaffer. And then he went to Bob on you. Yeah, what are you speaking to him like that? And Robo said something like, I didn't say that. All I said was, excuse me, sir, you bang out the border. And everybody just burst out laughing, like, because he's never said excuse me in his life. Like, no. But I was crazy. Some of the meetings, and Trent said on Twitter, he said, you know, I bet Kenny went back in his office and thought there's some sort of candy camera there, like someone's taking a picture, like, you know, someone's having a soft like, because you know? he, he must have hated it, like his phone ringing on the weekend. Like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, Rob got arrested a couple of times that year. And, um, <laughs> the gaffer would go and pick him up from the, from the police station so Robert tried knew I was in trouble this time so what's the man he said he brought his wife with me with him <laughs> <laughs> so the gaffer's picked him up now. He's like, and he said Robert jumped in the car and all you could see is his wife shaking his head going touching like getting Robert and Robert going oh no uh, and some of the times they were just so, they were brilliant that, that year that, that group of players were just like it was unbelievable and I, I think Josh has obviously got the question because you've been involved in the both sides of it now and, and how much has Swansea City changed since you started and, and obviously when you were managing uh, the 21s and coach with Gary Monk. So uh, Josh, I, I need a wee, so I'll leave this up to you for a second. I'll be yeah. back. Yeah. yeah, we were talking about before coming on, Chris, we were like, uh, you know, think about when we were growing up and as you said, Swansea sort of in Division 2 and things. Now, after putting that sort of foundation work in for then the Swans to go on and do what they did, you know, get the Premier League, stay there, win the League Cup and things. And, you know, you've seen it firsthand from, you know, one side playing to then, you know, going at the coaches of the 21s and stuff. Like, you know, how much has that changed in terms of, you know, the environment, the, you know, the facilities, the equipment that's provided, you know, the sponsorship money involved and stuff like that? I'm guessing it's probably another world, is it? Oh, it's completely different. I mean, I, I'm... I think a lot of the boys my ego can be proud that they they helped get to the club to where they where they were at, you know. But, but even when we were in the Premier League, for the first year in the Premier League under Brendan Rodgers, they were still training at Sandarsi. You know, and I, I can remember I used to go over and watch them train quite a bit and they were preparing for Man United and they were at the Sandarsi on the one three G pitch because the weather was so bad. But they had the whole squad on that one pitch. So Brendan had like eighteen or twenty players at one bit and then behind the goal or the, the try line because it's a multi-sport pitch Kurt had the ones who were not in the squad you know and they were preparing for Man United those Man United and one thing Man United and the top top clubs do they don't 
they don't show, they don't speak about what they've got, you know. And I've been to the training ground and it's insane. Whereas Swansea, like, are in this sort of like, you know, one pitch and change, change you with the, the club members and this, that, and the other. And it, that went on into the next year when you know, Brian Loudup takes over. And he's, he's sorry, Michael Loudup, sorry, Brian Loudup. He's an absolute superstar. And I mean superstar. He's, for me, you know, you've got the top, top players and he's there, there, thereabouts. You know, he's played for Real Madrid, Barcelona, Juventus. You know, an incredible player. And I mean incredible player. And he's come in and they've shown him around like the, the Morgan, the Virgin Gym, like as a training ground. And he's like, oh, see, that's what, you know. So, but he was one that just went, yeah, okay, and just got, you know, sort of got on with it. And then obviously the step came in. And I think, you know, where... Swansea had nothing and then got everything within you know, seven years. It's it was crazy, like the, the quickness, and I think it caught Swansea a little bit by surprise because I mean the training on affair was unbelievable now, but it took years to build, you know, for what for for the size of it, you know, a year possibly. I'm not a builder, but I'm guessing a year, you know, at some points, even when we were in the Premier League, we had we had one one brickie and his and his, oh, one builder and his his mate his labourer and that was it. He was building it brick by brick and we used to laugh about it. But then the Americans took over and they they ploughed the money in to finish it off. But but they had to come from absolute nothing to to what it is now. And and as you said, I didn't have a track to this is a thing. I didn't have a track to from Swansea until I played. I was a pro, and I I had an Achilles injury in the summer, so I hadn't. I didn't go on a pre-season tour, um, and we were about three games into the season, and I, I was due, and I was, they said I was going to play. I'd ask them for traction, because they didn't have one. <laughs> and that, that's, you know, we talked in, I think I was in 97, maybe. So, you know, you, you wasn't guaranteed to have a traction, even when he was a pro back then. So yeah. now it's like, you know, it, it's, look, it's, it's incredible. You know, I just hope that they can, can, can get up, but as as for the, you know, they they, they are spoiled a little bit, but you, you get the the if the player is going to make it, he's going to make it. I believe you can help them along on the way, but certain players are going to get there. Anyway. Ben Davis is the Joe Allen, people like that. You know? Yeah, I think what this is obviously top boy call today. It, it must have been a bit surreal for him because. You were going into you were coaching the Swans, but you were coaching the Premier League. You were you were, you were up in Old Trafford. I, for me, right, it's I'm I'm a Port Albert boy and down to earth. I, I love it, and I'm I used to pinch myself. I wasn't one. This wasn't normal for me, you know. This is is something which I could never have dreamt about. My you know my team, my club going to going to Man United. You know, being on the pitch Fergie's last game. You know, in that, that you know the. Um, what they do when when they walk out, I'm guard of honor. I'm, I'm stood there, you know, on there. Me, you know, my St Joseph boy from Port Albert, I stood stood at Old Trafford doing it and beating Arsenal twice when we were first in court, beating Man United twice. You know, being in the in the room when Arsene Wenger's coming in, the, you know, and the, you get these top managers will speak to you. You know, they they speak to you after when if you if they lose, but you can see it; it's hurting them. And but if they win. You know, they'll offer you anything. And being stood in the, you know, we'd go for a drink after it, um, 
at the Emirates, you know, Curtis and the keeper coaches here chatting. And, and his staff were brilliant. They were coming over and talking and asking him to come in. He could see his face was beaming. And, you know, they'd ask him, uh, you know, he, he wasn't speaking to us with a bottle of beer. And <laughs> he turned on and said, Oh, well done, good result. And he said, You must be close to European place now. How many points you got? And so I said, Not, I probably did at the time, but. But I can remember Kurt said something. I looked at Kurt and I was going, well, there's six off Man United. There's six off you. The podcast <laughs> Wenger, like, you know. But it's, for me, it's I'm living the dream, man. You know, I am living yeah. the dream. And it's, people don't, don't realise, I think, it's funny because I like watching things like the, the inauguration yesterday and Kamala Harris. See how much it meant to what she was getting that. And, and actually, no, it means that much, that club, and, and to be that, Part of that was was incredible, you know, and it, you know I hopefully get the opportunity again at some point because it's uh, it's something which I've not given up on. And but but to see my the club that I knew and grew up for to to be where it was and the you know, the finishing eighth in the Premier League is it was something it was unbelievable. Going yeah. going to play in Napoli in in you in the Europa Cup in Valencia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I always go to the the Napoli one because I was directly involved in it and for me is uh, you know the person I am just to be there like I said it was I don't, didn't take any of it for granted you got to you know save it and, and enjoy it and and it was it was it was proper you know it, it meant so much to me and, and it still does you know it still does and I think Swansea at the minute are in a really good good position and had to adapt the way they play a little bit and and I, I I did the game for Swansea TV at Barnsley on the weekend and I came out there buzzing. I haven't felt like that about Swansea game for, for such a long time. But well not such a long time, it's probably wrong. But I was buzzing, not because of the, the, the style they played in or the, the fluid fast Swansea type of football. It was how they dug in. And I thought mm. the way they played together for each other is is and I said straight from kickoff this is gonna take a di- a different way of playing this game. And they did it, you know, it wasn't pretty, but they were blocking, they were, you know, they were high, you know, high fiving, congratulating each other, thanking each other for helping each other out. Which is, is pulling in the same direction, and that's massive, that's huge in football, I suppose, in any sport. Yeah, and and you, you mentioned your commentator there. You've had a lot of praise, I think, on, on Twitter for your, for your commentator because you've got um, your analysis. I just, I just love Wyndham Evans and his random outcries of a, a foul uh, or when he's foul. foul. It's got to be a red. <laughs> <laughs> you got you got to get some uh, Wyndham Evans is in, in your commentator, but you've had a lot. Yeah. Of a lot of praise for you. Right? No, it's look. It's, I I had a laugh because when they first said, you know, people saying, "Oh, he knows what he's talking about." Yeah, I've been in the game for years. I got my pro license. You know, people don't realise this. I, I didn't. I didn't get it on the back of playing fifty international games, winning or hundred Premier League games, winning X, Y, and Z. I did it because it's hard work. You know, I was yeah. doing. I was coaching kids. My my boys' team when he was under six, I was still playing. You know, it was something which I'm really interested in, and that was one of the biggest disappointments when I left Swansea. Was a lot of people would say, "Oh, you know, he's got no experience. What experience more do you want?" You know, I've been at the club for twenty, I don't know, close to twenty years. I know the club inside out. Yeah. You know, I experience about what? You know, I think a lot of people in this, in general sport, and certainly in football in the UK, and out of experience. 
they with the media and what have you, they give like a foreign coach, and this isn't a dig against foreign coaches, they've brought a lot of good things in. They'll give him, they, he will start on a pencil, whatever level he comes in. When I did my core license, I went out to uh, Real Sociedad with David, David Moyes for a few days, as part of the course. Um, and they seen I was over the press, and they'd at every training session, more, more or less. And in the end, the last day of the day, he came up and spoke to me, and he was grilling me on, did I think David Moyes had the right sort of credentials to be a manager in Spain? Is he tactically good enough? Is he this? Is he here? So basically what I got from that is when he went over there, he sat there at the bottom and had to work his way up. Whereas yeah. over here, you can start, you come home for nothing. You start at the top. Very rarely do you hit the bottom because they still think that you're good enough to do the thing. Whereas over there, they, they sort of look at it. So, you know, go back to that. What they say, you know, I, I still believe I've got a lot to offer. I still believe I should be at the club. You know, I was, the decisions were made when I left by people who, with all honesty, haven't got much of it, didn't know what I did, never spoke to me about what I did. And the decisions we made at that time were, were pretty, you know, I think self-serving as well. Whereas, obviously, they didn't, people didn't want to go down, which nobody did, but they got what they needed up in the back of it. But, but as for, for me, I, I know what I, I'm talking about, I know what I'm doing, and I'm hopeful, you know, one day of getting back. At some capacity, whether it's at that club or elsewhere, you know. Yeah, and and I agree hundred percent with stuff like that about putting pads, people on pads. So I got a certain uh, be in my bonnet about a a Premier League manager at the minute who's who's up with a, a team who've just been promoted, but they still bag on that they're probably the best side coming out of out of England. Um, but I I I, I won't bag him on you. Um, he's probably listening. You know, he can't speak English, but he probably listened to this. Um, but it's the same with, with rugby. You get, I think, the regions now. I'm so glad to see Dai Young's back involved in, in the match game. But you, there's so many coaches who've gone through since 2003 that are the saviours, and, and the Welsh coaches don't get a look in. You've got two guys who've just taken over Worcester who are, who are young Welsh coaches, but they wouldn't even be looked at at, at the regional level. And, and exactly the same, I think, with British managers and British coaches. Um, and, and that's why I, I, I am never really asked to about this, but like, was there an opportunity to go with, with Gary Monk when he went to different clubs or was there? No, there, there wasn't. I mean, you know, I, I speak to Monk now and then. Um, we were very, very close. I know he's got his reasons and, and you know, whether I agree with him or, or not, you know, it's, it's up to him. Um, I, I don't want to get into too into depth of the people who, who know and about me know know what happened and it no I didn't get the opportunity and that's one of the the things where you you see where where a lot of coaches managers leave and they take their coaches with them and then they go go around which he's done that but he didn't take me yeah now you know that that's his his choice but it, it has obviously it's affected my my ability to to work you know and and to get 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 a move somewhere. I mean, you talk about that, and that's good. And I'm glad the Welsh coaches are getting that look in elsewhere as well, though, you know, because it's something yeah. which they they have to do. And I think some of the top British managers have done it. But remember, Roy Hodgson started out in Finland, I think, you know, places like that, where you know they had to work to get back back wrong. Yeah. And for me, I'm, I'm willing to do that. You know, it's, it's but it's getting that opportunity. I'm not one person that's going to be in. Know, in the media all the time trying to say how oh, good I am this that and the other because that's not 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 me and it's probably to my detriment but it's um 
you know, there was a good discussion. You talked about that on um, Monday Night Football about Newcastle. And, you know, you've got the, the Liverpool fans now talking about Josh, Mourinho. Josh is what? Josh yeah, is. Yeah, a... but they, they talk about Mourinho and they call him, you know, Mourinho and this, that and the other. But the short memory when you talk, remember Benitez? Benitez is all about numbers. Very boring, very negative. Got the European Cup and can't take that away from him. But that's it. And um, Guy Neville's making a point on Monday. Steve Bruce has got more points. But he's not Rafa Benitez. He's, a... he's, a, he's actually a Jordan. You know, which yeah. it should be the fans backing more. Well, that's the thing, like, as you said, probably going back to your playing day, Chris, like being a local boy, you know, managing the local side meant a lot more than it does now. As You know, we've seen with Steve Bruce taking charge of Newcastle. As you said, the fans should have been, you know, 100% behind him, Jordan mm-hmm. taking over. But, it, you know, before he stepped foot in the door, I think they all wanted him out. But I think there's like... Yeah, um, I think... Like, there's a yeah, I think thing. that's maybe, maybe down to the fact where you know, the position the club is in that he's actually ended up going for Steve Bruce, whereas if it was in the higher position, going for Steve Bruce, they wouldn't look at Steve Bruce probably, which is, is wrong, you know, in, in that in, in that regard, you know. It's not saying that Steve Bruce is the, the best manager in the world, but, but it's come to the point that the club's in a mess. That manager's walked out and they've given Steve Bruce the job who's doing a better job, you know, an equal job than we say. It's not Steve Bruce's fault, the thing that I think I never made the. They've been watching this football for a long, long time. It's just the name's different. I think you know, I'm not a massive Sam Allardyce fan, but he's right in what you were saying. How the media can sort of portray things was England got the semi-final World Cup. I think it was 80% of the goals were from set pieces. Yeah, Gareth Southgate was unbelievable. If that was uh, Sam Allardyce, whose game is known for set pieces, this that, and the other. Would he have the same? Would he be in the same category as Gareth Southgate? Oh no, he wouldn't be there, would he? I think it comes down to the like, there's a, a massive stigma. I think he, around foreign coaches, like you mentioned, there it's, it seems to be like it's a glamorous option, isn't it, for a, a lot of clubs to appoint a, um, a foreign manager? And I think you bang on with, uh, with Benitez, like you know, uh, watching Benitez growing up, he was. Uh, he, he was all about tactics. They, you know, Liverpool didn't play the greatest of football, but that's what I think Jamie Carragher and Steve Gerrard talk about. Um, you know, whenever Raf Benitez is brought up, they just say tactically, that's what you know, that's what he was best at. But mm-hmm. well, certainly in terms of playing style, he wasn't uh, he wasn't any better than you know, as you said, up in Newcastle. And I was Steve Bruce. Yeah. And that's why I think the, the game, the Premier League, you people are saying about the games, some of them are boring. This idea, that's what it's come to. Not not so much the and I, I don't want to criticise them because, and I don't solely put this, but it's, it's the game's changed in Britain now from it used to be like variations of 4 4 2, this, that, yeah, then 9 times out of 10, it'd be the best side would win. You know, they'd have a go at each other. When now it's tactically all right, they'll sit back and they'd, it's a bit more like basketball where, you know, you counter attack, you, then all of a sudden it's how quick you get back into your half and you see the game going <laughs> from half to half, not flowing back and forth, but you break out, all right, it's in their half for a little bit. And they defend, and if you can break out, then it's in. You watch a basketball game going, it's quite similar to that. And it's not like, look, I, I worked for some uh, Roberto Martinez, but was Roberto? Roberto came over as a player and bought in. And what was massive with him was the culture he bought into our culture and what we did. And that was part of how we got the club, the team going. So the players coming in, the, the, the foreign players and Swansea were early on, were brought in a load of the Spanish boys. 
they bought into what we did. And we, we didn't run the, and I don't like using the word we ran the dressing room, but we did in a way. Roberto trusted us to do it. So he knew that we knew what the club meant and what it meant to the town, to the city, to the people, and this and that, and how we conduct ourselves. So the ones that bought into that added the, uh, you know, little bits of the training regime and this, that, and the other. Adam, but bought into the whole what we did. They stay. Angel, you know, he, he talks sort of the Spanish ones. The accent is crazy. Nobody is. You know, he bought into it. He stayed for long, long term. These boys did. Once he bought into it, they did. And Roberto would do that. You, you know, he, at one point, he wouldn't allow, um, you, you had to be mixed nationalities on the table. So you couldn't be a table of Spanish or a table of, you know, just British or Welsh or whatever. You know, you had to mix when you're having food. Um, they had to speak English, had to learn English. You know, Angel couldn't say a word. He signed with Game Bowser, and Game Bowser was an intelligent boy, he could. But we used to, I remember, I, I swear too much, but Angel would be like he'd lose his rag. And the FNS, I don't know, go nuts. Like, <laughs> we'd stitch him up. But, but he bought into him, he, he was great. But that was, it was the, it was Roberto's foreign mind and, and way of playing uh, to a degree. And, Built onto the the British style, you know. So the I can remember talking to uh, Rafa Bini, who was in, in charge of um, Napoli when we played him, and we battered them at home. And this is Higuain playing up top as well. So you know, massive, massive team. We battered them at home. We were in the middle of a relegation battle when we were playing them, and it was nil nil. And he came in. He said, "Oh, we did well to get away with that." You know, he said, "I've been telling the players all week this team will not stop going. It will not stop going." It's totally different to Italian football. He said it'll be constant pressure, pressure, pressure. And it was refreshing to hear that, you know, from someone who's, who's been at the top. Yeah. You know, I know Fergie didn't get on who's his, uh, his manager at Chelsea. And when we, I think we had Chelsea, yeah, it would have been Chelsea in the semi final. We get to yeah. the League Cup. Yeah, yeah. And um, we played, <laughs> here's the story, you know, and Chris Latham, I was last for this one. They always have a drink before Christmas uh, for, for Ernie, who passed away in the steelwork. So it's always a Saturday before Christmas. We always meet the, they meet down the dune. So I went to have a drink. But on the Sunday, I was 21's coach. Yeah, yeah. So I had a couple of pints of them. Like then Chrissy and that, the big man that you're fan. He was laughing because like, I'm in the dunes on a Saturday night having a couple of pints. And we got Fergie and Man United the day after the loan. Like, you know? <laughs> so, so, so I was like leaving at two pints and, and going to the car. I got to go. I said, uh, he said, I got to go, man. I'll meet you Fergie tomorrow. <laughs> he said, go. But he was saying after the game, and he said about Benitez, he said, oh, you know, Benitez will be a game in them as you know, you know, tight, compact, this, that, and the other. Because they had a real fractious relationship. Mm. I remember Roberto telling me things about like where I think the, the Premier League put Roberto next to Rafa Benitez in a meeting or something along those lines, and Fergie like just blanked then Roberto for a bit and then and then he had the, they went because he managed big and they went out for food and they sat there then then he clocked that he wasn't you know, big mates of Benitez you know so it was uh, no it was strange good times that- but. <clears throat> good, good story. Good story about that Chelsea semi-final at home. It was snowing when it was quite, quite yeah. snowy, and uh, 
my father's old man had just passed away a couple of weeks before. So Tommy said, come over to the box. So obviously me and my father, Chelsea fans, come over to the box and, and watch a game. So Paul Defnell, who was the operations manager for the operations hospital. Operations manager, yeah. So, so he's there. So so we, we turn up quite early and um, and Tommy has said to Dev, he's given him a warning. He said, look, Father Joe's coming tonight. You have to behave. <laughs> he said, you have to behave. He's in the box. Big game. Have to be. Right, yeah. Yeah, no worries, Tom, no worries. First half goes by, all right, he's, he's fine. He, he's up shouting, but he's fine. So we get in. So so you could see Dev. You know when Dev's getting drunk, can't you? So you could see he was getting a bit uh, tipsy. So we're having curry and rice half time, and he's, he's eating it. Next thing, Dev just drops it all over his shirt. He goes, ah, fuck, ah, ah, Jesus Christ. And he can see him <laughs> sinking to his chair. So he's sinking and sinking. <laughs> I told him he can't contain his laughter. He's giggling. <laughs> so we, we go back out for the second half, and, and he's pulled, Tommy's pulled him again, said, fucking watch yourself now. So second half, obviously, Mark Morgan and um, Mark Morgan's boy gets kicked off, yeah. kicked by Azad. <laughs> if he did, every swear word come out. So <laughs> <laughs> was just sitting there like that. <laughs> you can see Tommy. Tommy's just hands in his head, like, oh. <laughs> and oh, it was brilliant. But he, he said, "Father, I got to apologise for the operation manager's uh, behaviour." He's like, "It's fine." Swans you have laid as fine. But you could just see it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. <laughs> Dev was just ah, oh. Dev. I used to give tickets to Dev, some of the stores, some of the things he'd done. <laughs> Doncaster played the last away game before they went out to the league. Uh, I think it was about 98, something like that, along those lines, at the Vetch. <clears throat> so it was the last away game. The bus was pulled out of the Vetch, got the little, it's still there, you know, in between the trousers. Yeah. It. So Dev's like, oh, can you give me tickets? Can you give me tickets? Yeah, no worries, I'll give you tickets. So, you know, it's, it's not as if it's, you know, the Vetch is about a thousand people or whatever number of that time in, a couple of thousand there. So after the game, we're walking out. There's a big sort of hoo-ha, what's going on? On the bus now, on the Doncaster bus, with the traffic going threatening. Oh, you know, it was only a dev, wasn't it? <laughs> Who got him tickets? Me. So you could tell I knew exactly where his devs was for. Uh, Shrewsbury, Chester, South End. Um, those were definite. Always those ones. He'd be on the phone. Those, those three were definitely there would be on the phone. Got any tickets? Got any tickets? But he went, go back to the box. One game, I can't remember what game. It must have been a big game because Tommy had two boxes. We down the other end. So down towards the, not the way end with a normal one, down the other end. He, uh, same same sort of thing. Like he's all right, all right, all right. And then he got up and went to the toilet. But they've come back in the wrong box, didn't he? So he's walked through someone else's box and all of a sudden it's, excuse me, excuse me. Everybody's standing up, going through, and Dev's coming through about three boxes down, like <laughs> coming in. Like, I said, oh no, yeah, brilliant man, character. Just, uh, I, I know Josh got one uh, story kind of question to ask him before we go on to the questions from the public because uh, we're running out of time. But Josh, <laughs> yeah, I think this has come from a Swansea fan, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. One my, uh, yeah, one my good mates, Matthew, all big Swansea fan. Uh... I texted him the week telling him you were coming on and uh, asked him was there any questions and he did come back this morning with um, he just wanted to know a bit more if uh, about Kevin Coolis's appointment or, or uh, Callis is it Kevin Callis yeah, yeah yeah it was funny when he was it was you know it was recently it was the anniversary no I was I was apprentice um, it was crazy because someone put it on um, social media the other day they they sold the club or in the process of selling the club to a bloke Thompson um, and. I can remember walking in, 
we were in slightly later this time um, on a, on a on a day, and <clears throat> the youth team manager Jimmy Rimmon, he was wandering around the vets on the pitch, like you could see he was he was not happy. And as I was coming in, I think it was John Cornforth, who was captain at the time, was walking out, and he said, "Oh, all right, lads, we've uh, appointed a new manager." And at the time, and if you looked at the interview which was given, which was on social media the other day, he was talking. It was always the same guys: Dean Saunders, Ian Rush, so and so, you know, big names, could have cost a lot of money. And he was basically saying, "Oh, money's no object. We get the right man to take this club forward." This and that. And we're like, oh, like, oh, but who's that? Who's that? Kevin Cullis, Cradley Town youth team manager. And we were like, fuck. He said, no, I'm being serious. No chance. He said, no, I'm being deadly serious. So we were like, no, nah, this can't be happening. Like, you know, it can't be happening. Anyway, he was, it was two weeks of absolute carnage. And I mean carnage. I mean, the first game at home was Swindon. I didn't even know if it lasted two weeks. It might have been less than that. But whatever it was. The first game of Swindon, we, I said this the other day, we were, um, at the, that was the first time stretches had come into the game. So we, so the apprentices had to be, four of them had to be on stretcher duty. So you go and sit in the middle of the dugout. Well, the boys had gone for a couple of pints like, before the game of the apprentices at the time. So it ended up with about six of them sat on the bench, like with it in his trousers, with this, it is a high biz thing, like I was watching the game. After the game, he came in and he was, I think they would do the play on the Tuesday night. So, Frank Burrows is a you know ahead of his time. We'd come in if they had a Tuesday game. They'd come in on a on a Sunday. They'd have massages the players. The we'd after the apprentices one of the apprentices had to run over to the garage, which was next to the um, county hall is in Swansea. It was next to there. It's not there now anymore on Isomouth Road. Get a, pack, a couple of packs of biscuits. You'd have a pot of tea on the table or the biscuits for the first team coming out. Have a massage and the reserves would train. So after the game. Swindon, I think, well, Yamo was actually in the stand that day, who actually took over after he came in and we was apprentices, we all had to be in there, we all wanted to listen, like, you know, so he was shocking, and then there uh, I think one of the Dibanos, he's from Boyle, he, he asked, he said, uh, he went, uh, Gaffer, what, uh, what's happening tomorrow Tomorrow with us? And he went, uh, he went, uh, who are you? And he went, you know, he went, he, he explained, he went, uh, uh, what do you normally do in Dibanos? So he was saying, oh, have a day off, have a day off. Tell you what, I have a game of golf on Monday as well. Don't worry about it. And you can see the senior players are like, what the fuck is this? Like, you know? <laughs> so that's when then they, they pulled ranks Keith, Keith Walker, Dave Penny, and then they had the boys in Roger Feastone, had the boys in on the Monday. I think it was Blackpool, it might have been on the thing. And I think half time, Dave Penny said, look, fuck off, get out of the way. Like, you know, <laughs> they took the team talk, and apparently Doug Sharp said on the bus, said, get off my bus. You'll have never, ever, you know. I was, uh, I was, there was an article on um, Wales Online, so I, I had to get up to have a look. And yeah, they said it was 4 0 down at half time against Blackpool, and he went to say something. And he says a few of the players told him to sit down and sh- fucking yeah. sit down and shut yeah. up. Yeah, it was. But I can remember it being on the like training at Morva, and it was like a free fall. The apprentices were doing what they wanted. And, you know, they were, he just didn't have, didn't have a through the pool. But I it worked it, by all accounts. I don't know if you'd be able to find it you now, but if I remember right, they sort of found out that they were in it together. The bloke was trying to take over and him. They were in it together. They, they brought in a bloke called, I think his name was Paul Moses. He's still involved in football. He was a scout with Liverpool at the time. And then he's gone on and he's a Bristol Rovers, I remember. He's probably still involved in football. Which, you know, lucky his name was left out of it a little bit. But the Kevin Callis, honestly, God, I remember him talking before and how, what he's going to do. I can't remember exact words, but you can imagine the bullshit coming out. Yeah. Imagine trying to talk to these pros like and they go, What are you on about? Seriously. And it was some senior players in that dressing room at the time, right? 
you know, proper, proper footballers, like, you know. Yeah. And he's trying to waffle. And, <clears throat> of course, Jim, Jimmy Rimmer, who's the manager, was, was pissed off because he sort of, you know, I remember him saying, he won't lace my boots, and he wouldn't lace my boots. Oh, he's, he played for it to keep, you know, Jimmy Rimmer did. And this Kevin Kellis is coming in. You see, it's a wild, crazy times. Crazy times. <clears throat> So, Chris, it's been amazing. Um, the last hour and 20, hour and a half has been amazing. But we'll just finish with a couple of questions, Chris. Um, this, one's off on Sean, this one's off Sean Curran. It's a, it's a Celtic-related question, obviously. Ah, right, yeah. Because I'm going to be for 40 yeah. minutes talking about this the other day. Yeah. Who's the best player to leave Celtic uh, and join a Premiership team, excluding Virgil van Dijk? Ooh. Um... Does uh does Henrik Larsson's loan to Man United count or not? Ah, he's the king. <laughs> I'd be happy with that. <laughs> you know, there's a story, right? I gotta tell it quick. My father, we went up to watch Man United versus Lille. I think it's Lille in the Champions League, right? Alan Tate got me tickets. Me and Tate, you went up. My father and Dean Pipe and my sister's wife and went up, right? We go up there. Tate, uh, Darren Fletcher's got us passes for the the players bar after, so we're in there. Sylvester goes down, dislocated his shoulder. So after the game, we're in the bar now. And I'm, I speak to Darren Fletcher. So my father's out there. My brother-in-law, is there any chance? Yeah, yeah, no problem. Come on. So me and Darren Fletcher walk out. And the players' bar's right next to the tunnel. Walk out. The ambulance is reversing in to take Sylvester to the thing. Well, there's all the crowds outside. There's me now going, right, right, come on, come on. So I'm going in now. And I, I know, like I said to Dean, I said, no, no messing about me. And I was just serious. No autographs, no hounding people. I said to my father as well, I said, look, behave. I said, I don't know, no, nothing. I said, so, you know, we see Dean sat there now itching, you know, all these top real food and all these walking in and it's like, all right, all right, right. Henrik Larson walks in, my father leaps up, gets him in an headlock, right, you know, like throws me the phone, photo, photo, photo. And I'm like, what, this shaky phone and not even open, like. And I'm like, I'm my head's going now, like, and it's just because he was laughing, like, it's very crazy. But I would say, uh, I don't know, I, I tell you who's, who's always impressed me and is impressing me now, and more so about the way he is as a conducts himself as Kieran Tierney. I yeah. really like him. I just think his, yeah. his mindset is everything about him. And it's always a sign where, again, we go back to like a, a typical coach like um, Arteta and who's been in and around Guardiola, that type of football has, has taken to him so, so well as well. So his mm. ability... His ability matches his, his desire and the way he conducts himself. Yeah, and we uh, we so we seen him as a youngster, didn't we? When we went to watch <laughs> yeah. uh, Celtic beat Rangers five one. That's what that's what it, that's what it, it meant to him. You know, you get your hair stand yeah. up where it, representing your club meant so much, and that you can't buy that. You know, you can't. Yeah, and uh, we had a good night on the, we had a good night on the tenor, yeah. didn't we? Our night. It was a uh, yes, we did. It was a pretty pretty good night, Di. Um, I, I actually, I think, I think that game, I flew back early in the morning and went to watch Swansea Chelsea straight away. Yeah, I was, uh, I was spewing all the way through the airport. I was uh, <laughs> the next day. Uh, one one question from Jack Underwood: Who's the best player you've played against or come up against? Um, uh, probably uh, Jermaine Defoe, possibly mm. when he was on loan at Bournemouth. He was, yeah. he was, he was a nightmare because he was, obviously he was young. He, he broke, actually broke the scoring record against us. I think he, they had a big centre forward, 
Fletcher, who's still at Bournemouth now in some yeah, capacity, yes. um, playing alongside him. So he'd be flicking on and to me the four would be after it. But I remember I always down the south south coast, I split my head, head, head at the back of Fletcher at one point, stitches there, cut my head above it again at Brighton, brought my arm in uh, Torquay and brought my nose in Brighton. So I was always down the south, it was all bad. But um, no, Jermaine Defoe, I mean, look, being around the thing, loud up. That Yam Olbert played with, loud up. Fairy Border, Leon Britton. Yeah. Sons for his complete, you know, uh, just street footballer. Robo is another one, street footballer. Couldn't things like that, Sons, but pointless. How can you do it? You either yeah. got it and see it, you don't. And that goes back to what we said before about kids being out in the street and expressing themselves. You can't coach what Sons has got. It's impossible. But uh, like, yeah, those load up probably the best player I've ever seen. Course yeah. and instant, even at the age of what late forties, fifties, that's incredible. It's like they say about oh, Josh, you can't uh, you can't coach his cricket in. Uh, it's that's all street cricket. Josh is he's a he's a bit of a club legend. But um, one yeah. one final <laughs> one as well. Jack Days he asks, what was the best club in Wine Street to go to after a game? Ooh, club, you know. It was always pitching piano and yeah. then the crowbar, which is over by escape. Ah, uh, I can't remember the crowbar, so that's show by showing your age, Chris. And, uh, well, we're talking, yeah, you were too young. Yeah. Two, mid, mid 2000s, so mid uh, 2004, no. five, that sort of thing. No, I was still in the Young Boy. Yeah. Pitching piano, obviously. Um, and uh, Darcy would know someone would be playing. Um, DJ now, oh, good. Yeah, I should have a little little corner, little corner yeah. bit. Crazy, I like it. I like a bit of picture. To be fair, Josh, any uh, any questions to finish off? Um, well, we were, we were gonna put him on a spot, weren't we? And uh, yeah, and get oh, yeah, an yeah. ultimate Swans eleven on on, on the spot. All oh, right, um, like difficult played with or just that I've been involved. Um, with? I will go with played with. Freestone, um, Angel, Tati. I'm not. I'm not involved. I don't play. I don't put myself. I'll coach him. Um, Ash Williams, oh, left back. Um, I come back to Brits. Ferry Border. I go Robo. Trans. Oh, we've got another midfielder. Like I've lost count now. Probably. Yeah, we've gone Fair border, Brighton, and yeah, Roberto. Um, Scott, no, I'm bad now. I'm going to leave someone out now. I shouldn't have. Put Sam Ricketts left back. Yeah, I'll play either. Um, oh, I'm missing one now, aren't I? Yeah, you've got other minute. You've got Freestone, Angel. Tati, Ash Williams and Ricketts, Rob, Robo, Roberto, Ferry Border, and then you've got Trans, Brits, and a oh, Rob switch Robo with Brits. Yeah, Brits. Uh, um, played with, played with, played with. Ah, just off the top of my head now, I'm going to kill someone's going to <laughs> kill me first. Probably go Nathan Dyer, maybe. Yeah, good player. Player, I forget our side out. Are you on, uh... Yeah, you've got, 
Yeah, don't, I got no, I'm going to be texting you now. Think oh, I've left him out. I left him out. Well, you can text. You can text me a bench. Twenty-five years, man. Yeah. Twenty years of playing. Yeah, obviously you mentioned him there, and he's and he's pro- he's probably the saddest one as a Swans player. Fairer border had the quality to play Premier League football, didn't he? Yeah, but the the mind probably not to have. Yeah, I goes back to what we started with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, look, yeah. don't get me wrong. He was a genius in the football, and he would have been able to. But sometimes those geniuses are a little bit crazy, and he was crazy. There's no idea of the fact that he's crazy, but he was a unbelievable footballer. Unbelievable footballer, and he's um, he had a, a nasty injury. Um, I don't, you know, some people, more the majority of people come back from it if you do the work right. And I don't know, only he can answer himself if he did the rehab right. Yeah. Uh, if he did it right, then it, it happened again the way it did. It's it's unfortunate for him, but he's uh, no, he's incredible footballer. Incredible well, Chris, thank you. It's been an honour. Um, the, I, the, Josh didn't realise as we were as we were coming on. Josh, was like, have we ever spoke to him before? I said, yeah, I've been on a piss river a couple of times. I said, <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. But um, yeah, this it's been really good. I think uh, we've got a lot more out of it, and we like for a lot more discussion points than we thought. Um, and, and I think it's been a real refreshing um, conversation. Josh, would you would you say? Uh, oh yeah, I think uh, I, I think we could have gone on for another hour or so, can we? And uh, yeah, just like to thank you for giving up your time, Chris, to come and speak. Ah, it's a pleasure, boys. Um, it, as you said, for I think uh, definitely fresh and you know, some brilliant stories coming out from uh, playing days and coaching and stuff that many people wouldn't have known and things. But um, oh, but thoroughly enjoyable afternoon and uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you. And we we, we we dedicate this one. We we seem like we're dedicating one to someone every week. Um, obviously, unfortunately, Eddie Phillips passed away last week, and and a Quinn's great this oh, yeah. week. Uh, Johnny Davis has sadly passed away after his long yeah. battle with um, illnesses and yeah. and and all, the, all his... Yeah, I share my condolences yeah. to both. I mean, Eddie certainly Eddie, and I, I meant to mention this myself. I'm glad he reminded me, but you know he's. When you talk about football, and we started this about local sport, you know, mm. someone like Eddie, who basically was, uh, I was speaking to Phil Robinson on the beach the other day, and Phil's obviously similar to Lido and Eddie, who just basically did everything at, at Port Arbor Football Club and did it up until a few years ago. And you see the respect, and they'll miss him. And, and big Swans fan as well, he used to sit and yeah. he used to talk, tell me his thoughts and Swans, but uh, proper football. I mean, Look, that's how long he's been doing it. He used to chase me and Chrissy Latham and the boys off uh, off the off Port Albert's ground back then yeah. when there wasn't a big you know, concrete wall around it. So yeah. We're looking what thirty plus years ago. Wow. It's um, it's sad, and and obviously all our thoughts go to Eddie's family and friends, and obviously and Johnny's daughters. But Chris, thank you. We uh, and we we have been told Martin Wagstaff did tell us to give you a mention to the travailing uh, vets. Is it? Is he involved with the trailer vets? Yeah. Well, we did that for a thing about the wine club, didn't he? So yeah. know, I took up a lot of time, didn't it? Just for that. Yeah. Wine, yeah. So up, up the wine. Up, up the wine up. club. Yeah. Cheers, Chris. This is actually now on the group. It is travailing uh, Harriers and Wine Club because some of them are running with <laughs> I can't go at the wine club now. I love it. So cheers. Thank you all cheers, for well. listening. Um, Chris, hopefully catch you for a beer soon. And um if it can't be good, Josh. Don't be bad. Baby. Catch you in a bit. Uh-huh.